From the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania and Sirius XM, this is the Work and Life podcast, which explores how to create harmony among the different parts of life, work, home, community, and the private self, your mind, body, and spirit. The conversation you're about to hear was originally recorded on the Work and Life radio show on Sirius XM 111, business radio powered by Wharton. Here's your host, founding director of Wharton's Work-Life Integration Project and author of the bestseller, Total Leadership, Professor Stu Friedman. Mick Batiski is a multi-talented, big-time creative professional from Brooklyn, my hometown, by way of Youngstown, Ohio. He's one of the most in-demand DJs in the world. He's a style influencer, a tech investor, a music curator, and a brand consultant. And he's a new dad. I got to meet Mick when we were both at a breakfast gathering last year hosted by Fatherly.com, talking about fathers. Mick's work takes him all over the world, collaborating with artists including Beyonce and Adele. As a digital and social entrepreneur, he invests in and consults with an array of startups. He's a co-owner of Dot Dot Dash, a new media studio inventing cutting-edge interactive environments, and Anchor, a new kind of radio where anyone can join the conversation. Mick and I talk about how he transformed himself from a marching band nerd in high school to a DJ who spins at private parties for Jay-Z, Michelle Obama, and A-list celebrities all over the world. We talk about the really impressive commitment Mick has to his family and how this infuses his work with purpose. All right, now, get set to listen, learn, and be inspired about how Mick Batiski is leading the life he wants. He's a great example of that. And how he weaves the different parts of his life together in a way that is distinctly his own. Mick, welcome. Hey, that's an amazing intro. Just let's let's kick it off here. If you could just tell us about your your in in brief the the journey that brought you from some town in Ohio. I don't know which one it is. Uh, to uh, it's all the same, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't say that. A lot of our fans and listeners are are in Ohio right this minute. Uh, so how'd you get from there to Brooklyn and and now worldwide? Um, well, I mean, that's a, that's a very long answer, but I, know. I, could, I could try to distill it down for you. Um, I was born in um, a town called Youngstown, Ohio, which is right on like the Pennsylvania border, actually, of Ohio. And um, I grew up loving all sorts of music, playing instruments, uh, being in, I was, I was pretty much a high school nerd. I was in the marching band. Um, the marching no, band. No, no girls would talk to me. Um, I was, read comic books. Like, I was like the prototypical, like, opposite of what my life turned out to be, which is really funny. Mm-hmm. And um, I went away to go to college uh, in 1996. I moved to Cleveland to go to a school called John Carroll University. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember thinking, I don't know how I'm going to fit all these drums in my dorm room. So instead, I taught myself how to DJ that summer, and I brought two turntables instead. 
And uh, it was because for me, it was like the same kind of principles from playing drums into, into being a DJ. It was just mm-hmm. rhythm and, you know, pans. And it was a very similar thought process for me. And I just grew up loving all sorts of music. So it just kind of made sense. And what happened was literally overnight, I went from being like the dorkiest kid in my in my town on like I'm making this date up like August 31st. And then September 1st, I moved into the dorms and I was like the coolest kid in the dorm all because I had turntables in my dorm and I mm-hmm. wasn't this marching band guy. And that was just an amazing moment for me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is uh, branding. I didn't know what branding was at the time, but uh, that was definitely uh, uh, my first official rebrand. Mm-hmm. And from, from that moment, I just kind of been, I kind of kept exploring it, exploring it, and uh, used it as just something. It was a hobby in college, and I ended up using it to pay for grad school. And uh, I went to grad school and got an MBA in marketing. And then at that point, um, it was 2005, and I kind of just was not really trying to grow up. So I just said, let's just see how far this can go. And uh, a couple years later, I ended up uh, in New York City and um, kind of started combining my business brain with my creative heart and ended up right in. What did it take? What was the the most challenging aspect of being able to just continue to stay with that which was, you know, in your heart as well as in your head? Because I'm sure you hit all kinds of resistance and roadblocks, and maybe people telling you, "No, this is stupid." You, you, you know, go work for you know P and G or something. Like, how did you how did you muster the courage? Uh, and and I probably a lot of good luck along the way as well. But what did it take for you to get past the bumps in the road that I'm sure you hit? Oh, wow. I mean, so many things. One thing I always talk about um, was I distinctively remember uh, sitting in one of my grad school classes and the teacher actually said to me, like, what are you doing with your life? I mean, maybe not in those words exactly, but Mm -hmm. you're not going to be able to kind of take this creative passion of yours. Uh, Mind you, the creative passion that was actually paying for grad school uh, and, and, and turn it into something real. And and I just remember walking out of that, there that night, like, that's not true, you know, and, and I'm kind of going to, like, prove you wrong now, and, and, and that's what I did. And there were a lot of bumps and, you know, roadblocks along the way, but one thing I realized was when I, when I look back on it year after year, I would continue to make growth and make headway towards actually pursuing this and, and, and achieving what I wanted to achieve. So I realized that if I, if I kept going with it, you know, what, why would it stop? It hadn't stopped mm-hmm. yet. So why not? Why not continue to do it? So, so when you give advice to to younger people coming up, because you're getting to be an old man now, Mick, right? What are you? Like yeah, forty or I, something. I'm not. Well, let's not do it yet. Okay. I'm, I'm 39. All right. I, <laughs> yeah, you're this done. Is my last year. You're done. My last year of uh, of uh, freedom. <laughs> <laughs> no, it just gets better. I just turned 65 last week, and I'm telling you, the 60s are like the best, right? Everybody. Happy birthday to you. That's well, amazing. thank you. You. Look, you don't look 65. Well, that's kind of you. I was fishing there, Mick, so well done. Uh, no, just <laughs> the, the, the challenge of, of you know, staying with something that you're passionate about. I mean, I, I encounter this all the time with students. And So what do you tell the, the kids coming up who think, like, how do I make this happen? How do I make this real? Well, you know, it's interesting. One thing that I say to people, actually, and it goes counterintuitive with what a lot of people say. And interestingly enough, my wife and I were having a debate about this the other day because she tagged me in somebody's Instagram post that said what, what everything says, which is, you know, 
put your dream first and don't have a plan B and, and you'll be able to like, just, you know, you'll be able to win because you put everything into this one thing. And I kind of believe the opposite. Um, hmm. and actually that's what I tell people. And it just goes counterintuitive to like every single magic wand dream fantasy anybody ever tells you, which is just to just like jump off the cliff and see what happens. I, I think for me, knowing that I had a college degree, mm-hmm. knowing that I had an, a graduate degree, uh, that enabled me to kind of say, you know what, I am going to go really big and really bold with this, and I'm going to move to New York with very little money at the time and just mm-hmm. try to take this passion that was literally just a hobby that, and, and turn it into something beyond real and, and because I knew that I had that safety net. Mm-hmm. Now, for everybody has different – Every a safety net is different things to different people. Of now, course. Of course Certain families are, are, are just rich, so their safety net's their family. <laughs> certain, mm-hmm. certain people – they marry a rich spouse and their safety net is their, their, their household. You know, my, I didn't have any of those safety nets. So my safety net was just betting on myself, but knowing also that I bet on myself the previous couple of years with education. So mm-hmm. if this did all fail, which I wasn't going to let it, but if it did, that I knew that I had worked hard enough the previous seven, eight years mm-hmm. to have a safety net. Mm-hmm. Now, would it have been as fun or would it have been as lucrative? Maybe not, but I knew that I could kind of go a hundred percent with it and not have any regrets because I knew that, I essentially was going to be able to catch myself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You were hedging in some ways, or were building a foundation that allowed you to take some risks. Does that exactly? Does that, yeah. and, and, and to me, that's that's a smart way to do it. So uh, I, I know our listeners are going to be interested in some of the incredibly cool projects that you're involved in. Just the other day, if I have this right, you were at the NFL, uh, the National Football League Hall of Fame induction ceremony. Is that correct? Um, yeah, I DJed uh, Jerry Jones after party, his induction party. <laughs> what was that like? It was really cool. Um, it was a lot of just gold decorations all around the room. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it was it was truly amazing. And what I what I love about it, honestly, isn't probably what what you'd even think. Like, I mean, there were obviously a lot of really wealthy people in the room. I think Warren Buffett was there. Justin Timberlake performed. Um, it was just a, it was a great crowd and it was a great party. But the thing I actually really loved about it was that um, it was in Canton, Ohio, which is about an hour from where I grew up in Youngstown, Ohio. Mm-hmm. And I spent, used to spend a lot of time driving through there as a kid. And now, it just can't, let, me just, of, let me just remind our listeners, that's where the Hall of Fame is for the National Football yeah. League in Canton. Yeah, yeah. That's, I'm glad you reminded them that because actually people don't know that for right. some reason. And everyone's like, why are you in Canton, Ohio? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, that's why. And um, for me, it was just such an awesome life come comes full circle moment because hmm. it's essentially like the area I, I grew up in and I spent, you know, 18 years of my childhood in and to be able to come back there for a, a party of that magnitude, getting paid a very nice check that I'm very blessed to have received and just have had such a great time. And, and, and it, it just kind of made me realize it's just one of those moments where you kind of pinch yourself because mm-hmm. you spend 18 years there and you just, you know, eating at strip malls and going going to the you know mall and going to Walmart and just doing all these like mm-hmm. things that were like in my youth growing up and mm-hmm. then to be able to like come back there as an as a successful adult for something of that magnitude really just made me extra appreciative of of my life. Well, it sounds like you've been working really hard to earn it. Now, uh you um you and your son, you have a 2-year-old son. I do. Uh, you two were the were the face of the Beats by Dre Father's Day campaign. How did that happen? Um, that was so awesome. I mean, it's just such a joy to be able to share something like that with uh, with with my son. 
Um, well, I mean, it's a brand that I've had a relationship with for a while, and um, we've always wanted to do something together, and we were just waiting for the right fit. And um, when they figured out they wanted to do something really cool with fathers and sons, they realized, you know, it's very obvious if you take any look at my any of my social medias, specifically Instagram, uh, how much my son means to me. It's pretty much my absolute everything in life. And um, I'm definitely not one of those people who shy away from you know, having my son as, as part of my brand, if you will. A lot mm-hmm. of people are like, oh, we got to keep things separate, mm-hmm. or it's very much like it's not a good business generator. Like for me, it's mm-hmm. just like such an essential part of my humanity that I'm, that I'm just mm-hmm. very much about it. And um, they recognize that. And, and also, let's give my wife some credit here. Uh, my kid's really cute and handsome and dressed well, and that all comes from my wife. And so... You know, if if they they that that probably actually played a lot more than anything I just said I contributed to it. But um, mm-hmm. they, I've seen the pictures, and I'm afraid I have to agree, Mick. Yeah, it's all her. <laughs> it's all her and him. So they kind of, you know, they liked me and they uh-huh. fell in love with him, and so they gave us a ring and they said, "Would you like to? Uh, would you like to do this?" And you know, of course, you know, it, for me it's like a no-brainer. Like, would you like to do this amazing photo shoot and put you and your son in front of? four million people three different times over the course of two weeks. Um, yeah, I think I would do that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we did. And, uh, it, and it's great. And it's just, it's really cool because, you know, honestly, like if nothing like this ever even happens from again, and I'm sure it will actually, but I'm almost positive it will, but just one day him and I will always have that moment. Yes, he will. He'll say, like, he'll say like, daddy, what, what, you know, what did you do? How did you, you know, and I'll be like, you know, you're not even going to remember this dude, but look at this cool thing that we did back when you were, you were two. Mm-hmm. And most people, you, you know, you don't have really memories of your life until like three or four. That's when you really start to remember things. So for him to have this, you know, captured moment that went out to the world at two, I just love that he'll, he'll always be able to have that to look back on. So you said uh, a minute ago that your family, your son in particular, is, is essential to your humanity. Can you say more about what that means to you and especially to your, your music and your work? Oh, sure. Absolutely. Um, my family... Uh, is my reason for existing, you know, and what w- what that means in relation to my to my work or my work ethic or or really whatever it is, is if I can do anything I can within the levels of human sanity to to, <laughs> to be around my family, I absolutely will. So if that means I have two days of events in LA and I have one day of events in San Francisco and I have a day off. Nine times out of ten, I'm flying all the way back to New York just to be able to have that day with them, and then I'll just fly right back. Hmm. Uh, if if it means I can do an event that's on the West Coast or in the middle of America that happens to end at 8 or 9 or 10 o'clock, and I can catch a red-eye home to be there when he wakes up, I'm absolutely doing that. Does that wreck my body? 100%. Uh, do I do it slightly less now, depending on how I feel? I've started to do a little self-internalization, uh, like, will I be a monster when I get home? Maybe I won't be good for anybody. Uh. But still, most of the time, I'm going with, um, you know, heart over, over, over soul in that situation and, and just doing what I can do to, to get home because... Wait, heart I over just, what? Like, I guess, soul, I don't know, or heart over, like, your, whatever, I guess heart over body, heart over... Okay, um, that makes more sense. Yeah, yeah, maybe you're. I, that's thank you, thank you for correcting me because I 
trying to be witty here. Just trying to get what you're what you're what you're putting out, and I I think I understand it now. You 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 prioritize your 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 relationship with your kids, uh, with your child, and and with your spouse when making decisions about where where and when to get stuff done. So how, I mean, do you say no to gigs that or or to to engagements that might pull you away? Has that happened yet? Um, I. I mean, I do say no. I say no to things more so for um, cost reasons or mm-hmm. for more, more so for opportunity reasons. Um, I mean, the best way for me to do somebody do an event for somebody or to be part of something is one of two ways. It either you know has to make sense for me financially or has to make sense for me from an opportunity standpoint. Preferably both, but those things aren't exactly always the same. Uh, and, and I usually just say yes to everything all the time. Cause I was just really happy that anybody would want me. And I think right. that goes back to my humble roots. Of course. Like, oh. of course. And, uh, sure, sure. Yes. Yes. And, um, now I've started to say no a little bit more and mm-hmm. I've actually, I'm starting to finally get better at saying no to people for, um, just overall asks of time. And we are all asked to do so many things and we all ask people to do so many things. So you have to find like that balance with that. And, mm. I'm not great at it. I'm getting better at it, but it's, and it's hard. You know, it's hard to what say. Are, what are you doing to change to to get smarter about when to say no? How are you lear- um, How are you learning that? Because a lot of people who are listening, I mean, that's the kind of thing we talk about here a lot on the show, is how you create boundaries that make your life work in all the different parts of your life. Well, I have a whiteboard in my office, mm-hmm. and on it, I wrote the word "no" really big. Hmm. So, okay, so, so I could you know, occasionally glance at it over the course of the day and it just says no. And I just laugh, like, why did I write no really big on my whiteboard? And yeah. it reminds me to say no. Mm-hmm. Um, and it helps because oftentimes I just, I'm just predisposed to saying yes. Mm-hmm. And, um, cause you know, and it, it also comes from also building my career and building my brand from scratch a lot of it came from saying yes to everything. Right. It came from saying yes to the person. You know, I was once that person who had 30, I mean, there wasn't, I guess, social media when I started, but if, let's hypothetically say there was. I was once that person with 30 followers calling an artist, asking them to do something for me, or I was, mm-hmm. every, I was that person. And so, but what I've learned is not every person said yes to me growing up. So, and and I never understood why, but you know now I understand why. That's an hour I could I could spend with my family, or 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 even even equally as important. And and I'm trying to get better at this too. An hour I could spend with myself. Hmm. In that you know that's an hour I could be working out, or an hour I could be reading on something that's going to get me to the next level, or mm-hmm. even just but like for example, I said I was at my desk all day today until we did this call, and finally at six thirty I'm sitting there getting super pissed like uh like dude you haven't left your desk all day and i just went and walked around the block for a couple times for like a half hour and i just i just needed to like reset my mind because i didn't want to um come on this call Mm -hmm. with with the baggage of everything i just had to deal with for the last nine hours i wanted to come on this call for you fresh and and level-headed and and Mm -hmm. and, and insightful we appreciate that yeah. Oh, yeah. You would have you would have gotten an earful of some stuff you didn't want to hear. <laughs> well, and it's important. Yeah. And I just have to. Get, I'm getting better at it, and I will say it's a work in progress. But I will say I'm proud of like how it's changed over the last year or two. What is it that you're proud of, Mick? Just that I've been able to do better at 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 the act of saying no, and 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 I don't like to even consider it saying no. It's more like just prioritizing mm-hmm. what's, what's most important for current me and future me. 
because current me is what's what's you know is is me right now, but future me is what's going to sustain my my life, what's going to provide for my family, and and future me is is it's just very it's a very important thing that a lot of people forget. They live in the here and the now, and they don't realize like the here and the now is great, but what, what's what's the next, and, and, and are you really planning for for your your next phases? And I'm a really big believer in that. So one of the things that I have my students and clients do and, and, and focus intensely on in the work that, that we do together is, is to really think about where you've come from and where you're going uh, to, make, you know, to make the now more meaningful. So how is it that, that you've been able to, as, as you're maturing and growing as, as an artist, as a father, as a, as a citizen, I dare say, uh, to, to focus on what you know, what's down the road so that, you know, the, the decisions you're making today make more sense to you and to the people who, who care about you and who you care about so much? Well, one of the, um, the first things I started doing was, was realizing that um, any career, specifically a, a career in entertainment, is not a, is not a given and it's not a guaranteed um, life plan and it's not a career that necessarily has longevity in that if you go work, I mean, I mean, does any career really have longevity? Mm-hmm. You, can mm-hmm. that, you can make that argument, but in entertainment, you're you're only as valued as the people who want to hire you. And I'm fortunate to have had a great career with it, but I've also been smart enough to realize that there's going to come a time where that could potentially dwindle, um, and that also may not happen. And it, but also it may happen just slightly, uh, or also may happen where I just don't want to do it anymore. I'm mm-hmm. physically not able to do it anymore, so I've for the last, you know, five years, started really focusing a lot of my energy on uh, what what the next is mm-hmm. and what what I and we we can get into that as, as, as deep as you want. Well, but, we only but, have a few minutes, so give us give us the highlights. What is the next? Uh, well, the next uh, I started doing a, a lot of angel investing in companies, which I really found fascinating, and so I was able actually through my networks and my relationships to add value to to all of these situations. Um, which was very pleasantly surprising to me because initially when I started doing it, I was just thinking of it purely from a long-term financial perspective, mm-hmm. and it ended up becoming something that became a really uh, deep passion of mine to the mm-hmm. point that I could potentially see myself in San Fran in five years working at a VC or having my own fund or something like that. Wow. That's something that uh, that's potentially in the, in the long-term um, mm-hmm. plan, and it, it's, uh, it's something that I have a deep passion for. Now, uh, I understand that you're also working on uh, a book project and, and a podcast uh, on the yeah, nearer, nearer horizon. Tell us about that. Yeah, um, it's actually it's, it's, start, it's starting really, really soon. Um, I'm launching a podcast series called The Business of Culture. Uh, I've already started. I've already recorded a few people who are in, in the process of pretty much getting the first five or six in the bag before we go public with it. So this right. is actually the first time I'm talking about it. But um, what I came to realize is coming up through the music industry, coming up through the culture of hip-hop, the culture of sneakers, the culture of fashion, all of these things that are kind of intersected in this one... It's not like a separate things anymore, like when we grew up. It's all kind of like one culture right now. Uh, what, what I came to realize was how impactful that was on on the, the people running big businesses that we, that we all use and patronize every day. And a lot of times when people talk about the, the, the billionaire CEO that that made made you know their career off of the back of of for lack for lack of a better word hip hop culture. 
uh, you, you, they mentioned the same people. They mentioned the Dr. Dre's and the Puffy Combs and all of these people, but nobody mentions like the 43-year-old CEO of a $2 billion company that grew up listening to Tribe Called Quest and Biggie and Tupac and what leadership attributes they took from an entrepreneurial culture and mm-hmm. how it impacted their views on diversity and their views on creativity. And what I found from my DJ career, just getting to know so many these mm-hmm. the last five years, is they all have these amazing, amazing stories and mm-hmm. how it changed their, their whole perspective on, on, on business. And um, so that really just sparked such an interest in, in me because I am kind of like one of those guys in a lot of ways, but I'm also on the other side of it. So I'm basically going around and really just, uh, just meeting up and, and talking to these guys and, and getting their stories. And, and gonna, we're going to share that out in the world in a series of really, really deep and introspective podcasts. And then uh, ultimately that's going to turn, turn into a book. Got it. And, uh, it's going to be. It's, I'm really. It's pretty much my my favorite thing I'm working on right now. I'm very excited. About well, it. it's clear to me, Mick, that you are someone who is going to be continuing to learn and create, uh, because you've got uh, you know a, a, you know a natural curiosity about your world and and wanting to contribute to it. So, uh, I'm sure this is going to be a huge success. Um, before we uh, we have to go here, and we, we are at the end of our time, unfortunately. I've got a bunch of other things I'd like to ask you about, but uh, what advice do you have for spouses of, uh, you know, people in, in the business of culture? Because I'm sure you're working on that, too. Like, what's the, what's the big idea that you can share with uh, people about how you maintain your relationship uh, in, in, in the kind of lifestyle that, that, uh, that you're leading? Um, that's a great question. I mean, I'm very lucky to have a very, very, very supportive wife. Um, and she really, she understands what I do. She understands how hard I work. I think it really inspires her. I'd like to think it impresses her, but I'm, I'm very fortunate in that, uh, she was there from the beginning of this. Mm-hmm. So she kind of saw this all growing and, and was, was, was part, part of the journey. So, um, she remembers when we moved to New York with not, really anything at all and she remembers when we lived in Ohio and so it's very easy for her to understand um, my journey and my and my successes and, and my struggles and mm-hmm. I would say for anybody regardless of, of you know if you don't have that situation it's also you, you just kind of have to approach it almost the same way I, I approach my son you have to be there for that person and no one's going to be perfect no one's going to bat a thousand but it's the, the a is an effort and, mm-hmm. and and only and that's different for every single couple and every single individual. But I know I put forth 100 percent towards her and my son, and in some days even myself, and every single day. Mm-hmm. And uh, that that gets us through. You know, a lot of love in our household. Those are wise words and, and perfect words for us to wrap wrap on. Mick, thank you so much for being my guest tonight. How can my listeners uh, find out more about your remarkable work and career? Um, uh, I'm glad you asked me that. I'd, I'd love to share that. Uh, my website is mick.co, mick, M-I-C-K, dot C-O. Mm-hmm. My Instagram is uh, very easy, at mick, M-I-C-K, and my Twitter is at I am Mick because the guy who has that mick won't give it to me. But maybe after making it onto this illustrious show, <laughs> he will. You can try to use this as leverage, Mick. I don't think it's going to work, but hey, thank you so much for being on the show. It's been great. Thank you very much, too. I really appreciate uh, you having me. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Mick Batiski and that it stimulated some new ideas for action. So 
here's a challenge for you. An invitation. How do you show your family that you care about them even though you might not be physically available for them when you'd like to be, when they'd like you to be? How can you show them that you care when you're not able to be there in person? It might be, as Mick said, that demonstrating the effort is what's most important in letting them know they really matter to you, that they're in your heart. So, here's the invitation. Is there some new way that you can genuinely aim to let them know that you care that would make life better for them and for you? Give that a moment's thought, and if you come up with something that you can try, well, then why not? And let me know what happens. I'd love to hear from you, as usual. Tweet at Stu Friedman or email me at friedman at wharton.upenn.edu. And for more information about the amazing Mick Baktiski, follow him on Twitter at I am Mick. That's one word. I am M-I-C-K. And check out his really cool website, mick.co. That's M-I-C-K dot C-O. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work and Life. This conversation was originally recorded on my weekly radio show on Sirius XM 111, Business Radio, powered by Wharton. Tune in for live broadcasts of Work and Life on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern. For more about today's guest and about previous guests, check out our blog at workandlifepodcast.com. Join the conversation by tweeting at Stu Friedman. And for more ideas and tools for creating harmony among the different parts of life, check out our website, totalleadership.org, and my book, Total Leadership, Be a Better Leader, Have a Richer Life. If you like this podcast, Please subscribe and share it with your friends, family, and coworkers. Until next time, I'm your host, Stu Friedman, and I thank you for joining me. <music>